You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Morning, Hope Bible Church Niagara. Good to see you. Really good to hear you as well as you sing praises unto the Lord. Before I uh, get to my sermon this morning, and God willing, I will, in just a few moments, uh, I've been asked by the elders to uh, share on their behalf our plans for this year's Christmas offering. If you are new or newer to our church, um, probably helpful for you to know that every year here at Hope Niagara, uh, we take up a collection at Christmas time for specific purposes that the elders have prayerfully identified. Uh, and really, it's remarkable, and I've heard many uh, testimonies and stories of just how amazing it is how God has worked and moved among his people here in our church in the past to uh, give uh, generously. And of course, uh, for many of you, uh, we are so grateful for your uh, partnership in the gospel as a fellowship of local church as you give generously week to week and month to month, and that is, uh, we're grateful for that, we're encouraged by that, and I know it's a real blessing for us to do that together. But at Christmas time, it's a special opportunity for us to give towards some very specific uh, purposes uh, and that we would ask you to prayerfully uh, give toward. So um, this year, what I'm going to do here right now is to share with you the um, allocations, the specific things that we've identified uh, that we would be giving the Christmas offering toward this year. And uh, as you hear these things, we just encourage you to be praying and seeking the Lord about giving, for, giving to this offering for these purposes. So all the money together, we'll divide it up this way, all right? $10,000 from this year's offering will go to Pastor Omar Soto at Vertical Church, Mexico City. It's, it's in Spanish, actually, but I can't speak any Spanish, so just that's the translation. Vertical Church, Mexico City, uh, Pastor Omar and his church, it's a church that we support regularly, but uh, something you may not know is that the, the realities of his church is that the, they, they aren't able to pay his salary. There's just, uh, they're faithful, they give, uh, but their givings, they're, they're so poor that uh, he is not able to draw a salary from the church. You ask, how does he live? Well, he lives because our church and a couple of other GCC churches give support for him every year, and that is his salary. Uh, he was here with us recently, and uh, he's never asked us for anything. He's super grateful for the generosity of God's people, but it became apparent to us that uh, he and his wife, are, they're just barely making ends meet. So we want to bless them. We want to encourage them. And so $10,000 from this year's Christmas offering will go toward go to Pastor Omar Soto in Mexico City. Another $10,000 we are earmarking for our youth to go to winter camp. Uh, it's a tremendous opportunity that the youth have missed for the last couple of years. Um, it's a great opportunity, but it's also a very costly endeavor. You saw in the announcements that uh, the, the price for the young people is $90 a person. That is, I can tell you, a very steep discount. Uh, they are being discounted over $200 each. And you say, how are we doing that? We're doing it through the Christmas offering. And uh, I should say, too, that for any young people and for some families, that is going to be too much for them as well. Uh, we are committed to money not being a factor. We want all of our youth to go to winter camp this year. So by God's grace, we will see it happen. 
but uh, our plan with the Christmas offering, $10,000 for Pastor Omar, $10,000 toward the youth winter camp so that all our kids can go. They can go there and get bussed there and back safely. Also, an additional $5,000 toward Jordan Christian School. We received a request from the school through several of our families in our church as we are in a building project of our own here. They have a building project of their own and are asking for help toward a capital campaign there. We are pledging $5,000 from this year's Christmas offering and an additional $5,000 from the next two offerings, Christmas offerings to fulfill a total pledge of $15,000 toward helping in those needs. So for this year's offering, we have $10,000 for Omar, $10,000 for Winter Camp, $5,000 toward the Christian School campaign. The remainder of the funds will go toward paying down the mortgage for our building. Let me camp out on this for a moment. You'll recall from Lewis's announcement recently that, uh, one, we have a signed agreement to purchase this building. It's going down. It's happening, like, for reals. Like, it's, it's on. And uh, the closing date is uh, late December, December 20th. Yeah, December 20th is the closing date. So it's happening. It's real. It's very exciting. And think about this. Uh, as a church family, this has been a prayer item for a long time. And we have prayed, we have prayed, and here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that now in these days that God is answering. And he has opened his hand and he is providing. And uh, wonderfully, through, uh, through God's working through his people, uh, we are in a position where we have a, a significant down payment in the bank and ready to go. But we will be left with a mortgage of $1.1 million. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? This Christmas, as a church family, if we could take a great, big, huge bite out of that mortgage. That's what we would love to do. The, the bulk, the lion's share of this year's offering, we would intend to go toward paying down that mortgage. And here's the thing. Think about this. We've been praying about this for a long time, and, uh, and now we can see God answering and God moving in a very particular way. But not only that... As you, as our brothers and sisters, as you have given toward the building fund, historically, it's always been toward some future building, God, you supply, you know, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like. But here's the thing, here's the thing. This Christmas, you are sitting in it like it's here. This is it. And uh, God is providing. And our heart's desire is for us as a church family to, with faith and with prayer and even with sacrifice, is together to give toward, not just toward this church, but to be partners together in what we see God doing right now in providing us a facility that we believe will be a tremendous tool for discipleship, for evangelism, for training up pastors, for church planning. We want this to be a launch pad for the gospel, a hub for ministry. And um, we would just love in the future, in the not too distant future, for all of our funds to be going toward those things and not mortgages. So that's our heart's desire this year is to give the lion's share of the uh, Christmas offering this year toward this building and paying it down. We see it as a tremendous opportunity and we're asking you to prayerfully and thoughtfully and even sacrificially to give. Here's the reality. We know, we know that for many of you, this is a very difficult time financially. Uh, we get that. That's not lost on us. We know that for lots of reasons and in lots of ways, uh, money is tight and um, things are hard financially. 
So we recognize that and we appreciate that. What we are asking is that each person in each home and each household would seek the Lord in your, around, maybe around your kitchen table, husband, wife, you're going to talk together and pray together and seek the Lord together for his leading in your life, in your heart, to give toward this offering this year. For some, you're going to think to yourself, comparatively, it's going to be very, very little. Don't worry about the comparison. Just seek the Lord, give as he leads. And for others, they're going to give more. But here's the thing. As we join hands together and seek the Lord in this ministry and in this endeavor, we really believe that God is going to do some great things, and we want to be part of it. So that's our invitation to you uh, for the Christmas offering this year. And uh, so let's take a great big bite, right? Not of turkey, not of turkey, but a big bite out of this mortgage as we give toward the Christmas offering. Now, the million, $1.1 million question is, uh, how do we do that then? Okay, what do we do? Uh, pretty simple. You've got options. If you're into like physical, tangible, I like to write checks or put money in envelopes, awesome. We got you covered at the back there. Um, the, in the lobby, there are envelopes. They are red and white. They even have the word Christmas on it and offering. So you can find that there. And uh, see, there's a brother going to give right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just, I couldn't help it, Grant. I couldn't help it. I had to do that. It's awesome. <laughs> now I'm not, he says. Anyway, so they are offering envelopes in the back in the lobby there. And just feel free to take that. There's an offering box in the lobby. You can slip it in there. If you want during the week, if you'd like to just bring it to the church during the week, you're welcome to do that. Bring it to the church office. We'd be glad to receive it. You can also give online. Probably many of you, that's the route that you would like to take. And we've got you covered there. Just go to hopeniagara.ca. Click on Give. And then you'll scroll down to the appropriate option there. And uh, there you'll see a drop-down menu. And the one you're looking for is Christmas Fund or Christmas offering, okay? And uh, by the way, you'll see in the drop-down, this threw me. I had to ask about this. I was totally confused. You'd see a, a, a drop-down item, and then it says CC. I'm like, like what's CC? What does, that, what does that mean? Credit card. I'm like, oh, okay. So if you're using a credit card, that's the one you want to use. Very simple, very straightforward uh, to give online. So you can give ten physically with the envelopes. You can give online. Now, you wonder, when is the deadline? It's a Christmas offering, okay? So the deadline is like Christmas, okay? But actually, that's actually not the true deadline. The deadline, the real deadline is December 31st, okay? You can give after December 31st, for sure, but it won't be counted toward the Christmas offering of this year, okay? So if you want to be part of that particular effort, we need those offerings by the 31st of December, those above and beyond offerings toward the Christmas offering to help pay down the mortgage and to support these other uh, ministry endeavors as well. Okay, and if you have any questions at all, the elders are glad to answer those questions. You speak to one of the staff and we'd be glad to uh, help you to answer whatever questions you have. But here's what I want to do. I want us right now, let's us as a church family, let's pray and let's commit this to the Lord in prayer. It's a spiritual exercise. It's an exercise of faith. And so let's seek the Lord together over this offering. So, Lord, we look to you, and we readily acknowledge that you need nothing. And, Lord, we read in your word that, that powerful picture, that powerful statement that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You, all the wealth in the world really is yours. 
And Lord, we rest in that. We rejoice in that. And we take courage in that as a church, as families, as individuals, Lord. Lord, we would pray, though, right now about this next month that as we look to you, that you would lead us, Lord. Lord, you know, our heart's desire as as leaders here is not that anyone would be impoverished through this, but to the contrary, that we would share together in the blessings of what you're doing in a very tangible, practical way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in that way. That as husbands and wives pray together and talk together, that not only would you lead them in this decision, but also that they would encounter you in it. And we together as a church would see you provide And Lord, that we would be able to be on mission here. We thank you so much, so much, Lord, for what you are doing in these days, Lord. This this tool that you have given us that we are worshiping in right now, that we're sitting here in this room, Lord, it's, it's another symbol of your great kindness toward us. And I want to thank you. We want to thank you. We pray, Father, that in these weeks, Lord, that our focus would not be primarily on money, but primarily, firstly, and foremostly on you. Lord, I think of some of our brothers and sisters who are struggling in many ways, some financially, some physically, some relationally, some emotionally, some in ways they can't even put their finger on. Lord, I pray that we would be met in these weeks by your grace and the assurance of your presence with us because of Jesus. Lord, I want to pray this morning for families who are hurting. We think of families who are on long, difficult journeys. Pray for the Langan Dunes, Lord. You continue to uphold them and strengthen them. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to them in so many ways. But we pray, God, for strength to keep going. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sister Eugene and Daria, Lord, as they grieve over what's continuing to happen in Ukraine, Lord. Oh, God, would you put an end to this violence, Lord? We plead with you, please, oh, God. And we pray that you would give them much comfort and courage as they seek you and rest in you, as they have concern for loved ones and friends back home, Lord. We commit them to you in that situation. Lord, we know that for this, as we come into this season, for some it's a season of excitement. For some it's a reminder of people who are no longer here and the grief is fresh and Real, Lord, we pray for much, much mercy and that the beauty and the wonder of the Savior who came into the world, Lord, would be our joy and gladness in this season. Lord, as we open up your word now, I pray that you would come and you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, we need to hear from you, Lord. We're hungry for a word from you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us fresh, real appetites for truth. And Lord, give us a willingness and give us power, Lord, to act according to the truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this question. How are you when it comes to making decisions? Like, how are you at decision-making? When you got a choice to make, option A, B, or C, how do you do that? Is that something that you excel in? Is it something that you get excited about? Is it something you feel that you're good at? Or maybe is it something that you don't like doing, something you agonize over, something you really try to avoid? Maybe it's, it's something you, you really dread when you've got to make a big decision. You know, thinking about decision-making reminds me of a story I heard a number of years ago about two men 
who went to place a bet on a soccer match. And when they went to place their bet, they realized that for some reason there was a mistake made and the deadline for placing the bets was set at a time after which the game would be already over. And so they looked at each other kind of in disbelief and all they did was they watched the game, made note of the final score, bet accordingly, and cashed in. Now, I tell you that not to comment at all on, on betting, and if you, wanted, if you are in favor of sports betting, then you won't want to know my opinion about it, because I have a very different opinion on it. But I share this with you because I think of this. I think, wouldn't it be great if the decisions in my life were that easy? Like, I already know the outcome before I have to choose. Wouldn't it be great if I already knew how it was going to go before I had stepped out? I mean, think about it. Would it be wonderful if you just you knew the return for sure before you invested? If you had the answer before you even asked the question? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could know already if you'll like that job, if you'll love that job before you apply to it? Or wouldn't it be wonderful to know that you really like that program before enrolling in it? Wouldn't it be fantastic if you could know for sure that that neighborhood would be a good fit for you before moving, or which of those options would be best for the choosing. Don't you, don't you wish, don't you wish that we could remove some of the risk out of the choices that we have to make? Here's the thing. If you're with me in that, then we have to get comfortable with this ugly reality. It's that life isn't like that. We don't have that luxury. One of the many frustrations of living in a fallen world is that things can and do go badly. That's just the reality. And there are choices that we will make that we are going to regret. If you don't already have half a dozen populating your mind right now that you already do regret. The reality is, is that we don't know what will happen until it does happen. And that can be a source of frustration. It can be a source of agony when we're having to choose without foreknowledge. So when it comes to decision-making, we often find ourselves, many of us find ourselves anxious because we don't know how it will go. And then that anxiety can build up into inactivity, become so overwhelmed or so fearful of what might happen when we're presented with an opportunity to do something, to step out in faith, to boldly do something. We sometimes find that instead of moving forward, we're hesitant or reluctant, or fearful. We, we stall under a, the paralysis of overanalysis and find ourselves really fear-getting the best of us sometimes and just not doing things that we might otherwise do if we didn't feel the way we did about it. And the fact is, and you may not like to hear this, but well, I'll just say it anyway, the fact is, is that the Christian life, the Christian life is one that we have to live by faith, even though lots of us would rather live by sight. This is an issue that our passage addresses head on. In fact, as we'll see, the author here is going to deal with the fact that, you know what, we can't often, well, we often can't know the end from the beginning of a thing. But our author's purpose, we'll see, is not to commiserate with us, but rather to help us move forward in faith in spite of our fears. His purpose isn't to just identify with the struggle of having to make hard decisions, although he does do that, but more so he helps us toward fruitful living, to make decisions that will honor God and be pleasing regardless of the outcome. 
Our scripture text today is in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, and we're going to focus on verses 1 to 6. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 to 6. If you've been with us for a little while, you hear me say Ecclesiastes, like, wait, I thought we were done that already. You, you, we were in that earlier, and you're right, we were. We were in the book of Ecclesiastes in a teaching series called Making Sense of Life, Wisdom for the Real World from Ecclesiastes. And just what happened in our planning is we got into the summer, and then there, uh, there was way led on the way, and we wanted to focus on the pillars of our church and a couple of other things. And so in our planning, we kind of stopped where we were, and now this week and the next two weeks, Lord willing, we'll finish the book of Ecclesiastes bring us right up to uh, Christmas, which I am looking forward to with you. So we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes, and you may recall that the content of this book comes from someone who's called or referred to as the preacher. We believe it probably was Solomon. We don't know that for sure, for sure, but it seems, it seems fair to say that's a reasonable uh, conclusion that it was Sol- Solomon. Regardless of who actually was the speaker or the preacher here, what we find as we read through Ecclesiastes is it's filled with many true observations and godly insights about life and really about the meaning of life and especially how to live it. And, and he, he notes and, and shares and reminds us that, you know, there's lots of things in this life. If I try to find my meaning in the things merely in this world, I'm going to be disappointed. If I try to find fulfillment in stuff and in temporal pursuits, those things are going to let me down. But instead, he shows us the way to really make our lives count in this world and to make sense of so many complexities and so many vexing issues, including the matter of making decisions and making choices when we don't know how it will go. Our text begins with some poetry. I don't know if you like poetry or not. You could maybe, if you don't like poetry, you could pretend it's lyrics from a song and add a little tune to it as we go through. But here's where he begins in thinking about helping us think about making decisions, he begins with these poetic words. He says, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. Almost sounds like feeding the ducks, doesn't it? That's not what he's talking about, though. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. The NIV renders it this way. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive return. It's... It's a business analogy that he starts with in this, this poem. We know from 1 Kings chapter 10 that Solomon, once every three years, would send his fleet of ships across the sea. He would store up grain and produce, and when the time was right, load up those ships and send them out to other nations to do business, to increase the wealth and prosperity of Israel. So it's, it's a, a, an image that Solomon would have known well, and the people would have resonated with the people. But of course, if you're going to load up all your produce on ships, that's a risky business, isn't it? We know what can happen to ships out at sea. Remember the Edmund Fitzgerald, the longest songs in Canadian history, perhaps? It sunk. That ship could sink, and you could lose that that product. Or, Or maybe the trade partner won't follow through, or the markets will dip. There's risk involved. But he begins by saying, though, but cast your bed upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. There there will be, you cast it out. And that's the only way you'll get the return. He says in verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. That that would be a great verse. You should write that on the mirror in your bathroom, that verse there, right? Especially part two of that verse. You know not what disaster may happen on earth. Good morning, me. 
I read this and I think, yeah, this is, this is reality. What's he saying here? He's saying, okay, well, you, you got to be bold, but you also got to be wise. You gotta be, so you got you to ship your goods out, but you also got to be smart about it. You, what your mother used to tell you, don't put all your eggs in one basket. What is she, well, this is what she talked about here, verse, verse 2. If you invest everything in one thing, you, gotta, you could end up with nothing. You can end up with nothing. It's, uh, the, the people in the financial world but like, yes, you got to diversify your portfolio. That's what he's talking about here. Then he shifts the metaphor in verse 3 to the farmer, from the business person to the farmer. If the clouds are full of rain, verse 3, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. Think about the dilemma of the farmer. When do I plant? Okay, well, I know when I should plant, but boy, that looks like real heavy rains there. And if I plant today, it might get washed out tomorrow. Or if I plant today, maybe it won't get lost out tomorrow, but storms will come and will ravage my crops. See, there's, there's risk involved, isn't there? But notice verse 4, what he says. He who, observes, he, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If all you do is check your weather app all day, you're not going to get anything done. Got to wait for the perfect weather. Well, the perfect weather doesn't come. I got I to gotta be careful to avoid a bad storm. Well, what if that storm is unavoidable? See, there comes a point in which you got to do, you got to act, and endless deliberation and persistent hesitation is going to leave you empty handed. Now, at this point, it would be good for us to ask this question Is Solomon here, is he writing about being wise in business? Or is he talking about living by faith and being fruitful in your life for God? I think more the latter. I won't deny the first part. There is some wisdom here for business people, but I think he's especially talking to business people and non-business people about making your life count for God. And I think that for a couple of reasons. This section that we're into here in chapter 11 is going to culminate at the end of chapter 12, where he tells us to fear God, to have a healthy fear of God, and to remember our creator, and to keep his commandments. And then the very last verse of the whole book culminates with the reminder that judgment is coming when all that we do will be laid bare before God, that we're accountable to him. So I, when I look at the flow of where things are going here, I'd say, he's not just talking about being smart in business. He's talking about living your life in the knowledge of God. Even more immediately, though, notice what he says in verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You see, he reminds us here that what we're dealing with is the sovereignty and the providence of God. When we think about the sovereignty of God, we think about the, the fact that God has full rights and full authority over all things. When we think of providence, we think of his purpose, his purposeful sovereignty. Yes, he's in charge, and he's got plans. And our author here reminds us there's lots of God's plans that he doesn't share with us. There's lots of things that he's going to do that we won't know about until it happens. So where does that leave us? Well, it takes us to verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, as I look at these six verses, uh, 
here's how I pull it together for us this morning. I see here at least three truths for us to know and to embrace. Three truths, and then one response in light of those truths. So three truths, and then one response. First truth is this, and and some of us this morning are not going to want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Truth number one, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. You say, why would I not like that? Yeah, because you're not like the person sitting next to you. Because that person hears that and says, but I don't want to live by faith. I like to live by sight. I like to know. Remember Mr. Rogers? It's nice to know. It's nice to know. I like to know. I like to know too. And if if we're in the same camp, we get this, that living by faith, not by sight, is like, I don't want to live by faith. I like to live by sight. But the reality is, is that the Christian life is one that we do live by faith. There are things that we do not see. You know, the reality is that when it comes to faith versus sight, what we mean there is, is we mean that we live our lives believing some unseen realities. And there's, there's all kinds of unseen realities in, in this life. I mean, think about the biggest of all is God. We, we don't see him. He is God is spirit. We don't see him. How about the presence of the Holy Spirit? How about heaven to come? God's eternal kingdom. These are unseen realities. They're real, but we don't see them with our physical eyes. We cannot see them. And one of the many things, one of the many realities that we don't see is the future, especially, namely, the immediate future. The immediate future is something that we cannot know. Now, the Bible shows us with, with wonderful descriptions and, and strong affirmations, the ultimate future. So with the eyes of faith, we can see the ultimate future, and we know that ultimately in the end, I mean, we, we know that there's the, in the future Jesus is going to return. We believe in a physical bodily resurrection. We believe in our forever home in heaven. We believe these are, these are things that were promised and were shown the ultimate future. I was in a meeting earlier this week, and with some pastors, and one of them shared a, a kind of a funny story about a prayer meeting in which they must have been talking about um, the victory that we have in Jesus because of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. When you trust in him, you have the forgiveness of sins and the promise of forever victory in him. And I guess it must have been in light of these things that he said one of the young women stood up in prayer meeting and said, God, I thank you and I praise you in the words of Freddie Mercury. We are the champions. Don't know I've ever heard of Freddie Mercury mentioned in a prayer meeting before, but anyway, okay, that works. We, we are the champions in Jesus. It's true. We live by faith, not by sight. There are things that we do see spiritually. We're promised. We know our ultimate future, but when it comes to our immediate future and what's going to happen today and tomorrow and what will be the outcome of this, this decision you make or don't make, we don't see that. We're blind to that. So, so what do you do? Well, our text here shows us that when we live by faith and not by sight, we therefore need to be bold and wise. Or maybe instead of the word bold, we could use the word courageous. Courageous and wise. Verse 1, he says, cast your bread upon the waters, ship your grain across the sea, for, for you will find it after many days. It's the many days piece that kills us, the waiting, the how will this go? But the reality is that there's a call here to be bold, to be courageous, to to make godly investments with your life, 
to do some things, to, to act, to, to say some things, to be courageous, to move forward, that when opportunity knocks, to open the door, take advantage of the opportunity sets before you, that God sets before you. But also, not only just be bold, but don't just want to make a me-sized hole through the wall, but we also got to be wise. And that involves some thinking, some planning, some praying. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So yes, go for it, but that doesn't mean don't think about it. Pray, plan, be intentional, be bold and courageous, be wise. Why? Because, well, we live by faith, not by sight. And so if we're going to live by faith, we got to be bold and courageous, but also to act with godly wisdom, with patience, with prayer. That's the first truth. We live by faith, not by sight. Second truth. If you don't sow, you won't reap. If you don't sow, you won't reap. You say, where do you get that from? Look at verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you never step out in faith, if you endlessly delay, if you stall persistently in taking steps, the outcome in the long run will be as bad or even worse than what you're afraid it will be because you've done nothing. If you don't sow, you won't reap. That goal, that dream, that ministry, it won't happen if you don't act. Sowing, reaping. Of course, you know what I mean by sowing, planting, right? Not sowing like your snow pants that are torn, but sowing as in planting the seed. This is a, a concept we see in different places in Scripture. I'll give a couple examples here. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Now, the context in this verse is on giving. It's not about decision-making in general. It's about giving. But notice what Paul says. He says, the point is this. Listen to his principle. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, there's a correlation between acting, between doing. In this particular context, that has to do with giving. There's a correlation between what you do and then what happens after that. We're not fatalists as Christians. No, we, we believe that even under the sovereignty and the providence of God, our, our actions, what we do, matters. Or how about another verse from Jesus? John chapter 12 and verse 24, he says this. Again, in a different context, talking about his ministry on the cross and about him going to die on the cross. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So think about that. I got this little precious baby, little beautiful little grain of wheat. I don't want the poor thing to die. So I'm going to keep it here in the jar, nice and safe. And what will happen with that grain of wheat? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It'll dry out. That's right. It ain't going to do anything. You mean I have to kill the little baby piece of grain? You got to put that thing in the ground. That's what Jesus is talking about. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if you plant it, it bears much fruit. Now, context is important. What's Jesus talking about there? Well, he's firstly talking about his own life and ministry, particularly his own death on the cross. And when Jesus died, think about that like a, like a seed being planted in the ground as he is crucified and buried. What did he accomplish there? Oh, 
much, did he not? In fact, the fruit of that sowing is astonishingly great. And you, even when you look around the room here today, you see much fruit of that even here in this room, maybe even in your own life. Now also think about the example that Jesus sets here. As he sowed, as he gave of himself, as he died to self, the example that he sets for us is one to follow also. See, there's a principle here about living my life and giving of myself and serving and going. Even if there's a risk, it won't go well. I want to sow in my life because I want to reap. I want to make my life count for God. I don't want to keep my life in a jar on the shelf. I want my life to go into the soil so that God would be glorified and I would have much joy in him being glorified. You see, loved ones, the principle, the point is that if you don't sow, you won't reap. Now think about that when it comes to making decisions in your life and making choices. We're reminded here again in Ecclesiastes 11.4, he who observes the wind will not sow. If, if all you do is try to calculate and line your ducks up perfectly, if that's all you do, you won't see any results. You'll miss opportunities. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Think about your own life and testimony. Think about your own salvation. If you are in Jesus, there's a really good chance that if you think back through how God saved you, you'll recognize that there was people or maybe a person who, like that seed, they died to self. They sowed. They made an investment. They made an investment of time. They made an investment of prayer. They took some, maybe some relational risk to tell you some things and to share with you some things. They, they stepped out there in faith, and yeah, you go back and ask them, maybe they did have some fear and trepidation in their hearts, but they did it, they acted, and God used that to give you a true knowledge of Jesus. And aren't you glad they did? Or, or how about, think about your own spiritual growth. As you grow in Jesus, think about how God has used different people in your life. Think about the investment, the sowing that they have done to help you to grow in Jesus. People who maybe taught you the word or in, encouraged you or prayed for you or confronted you. You know, I've shared with you this many times. I'll share with you many more. Huge turning point in my life, a decisive turning point in my life was when my wife now, then just friend, took huge relational risk and confronted me about duplicity in my life and sinfulness. And I'm telling you right now, on a human level, if she hadn't done that, I would not be here. In fact, I shudder to think where I would be if she hadn't sown. But she did. And praise God, there was reaping. Praise God, somehow, some way, there still is. But loved ones, if you don't sow, you won't reap. So this got me thinking. What are some of the reasons that we don't sow, like that we hold back, that we're hesitant, that we're reluctant, that we don't act, that we don't do, that we endlessly weigh? What are some of those reasons? I wrote down three. You might think of more yourself. But here's the three I wrote down. Number one, we're overly cautious sometimes because we're careful by character. We're careful by carrying. It's just, it's just your wiring, right? There's others around you. They're the, the, the crazy, wacko, spontaneous skydivers in, in your life. And, and let's just all agree, they are very strange people. I don't get them. I don't understand them. I'm glad I'm not them. But, but we do need them because sometimes if, if people like us, careful by character, we need people like them to push us, to encourage us. 
to challenge us along the way. Sometimes we're, we're, over, we're careful by character. Now, you spontaneous skydiver crazy people, you need careful by character people in your life, too, for the wisdom piece from back in verse 2. But some of us are just sort of our wiring. We're a little hesitant, just, just kind of in our nature, and it's not necessarily intrinsically wrong. But it does mean for some of us we got to be a little more intentional than other people do. Second thing I wrote down is sometimes we're overly cautious because we're frozen by fear. Fear of failure. Or how about FOMO? You know what that is? FOMO. Fear of missing out. Like what if I go here when really in the end I sh- it would have been way better if I'd gone there? Sometimes we're like the lion in the Wizard of Oz. Remember him? This big, ferocious lion. And what was his problem? He was a coward. He was chicken. And sometimes that's the way we are. We're deathly afraid of failure or suffering loss or choosing the wrong path, things being worse than we imagine. Third reason we're overly cautious is we're often overwhelmed by options. We're overwhelmed by options. It's great to have choices, but for lots of us, it's a curse because like, we got too many choices. Listen to the words of Kevin DeYoung. He wrote a great little book called Just Do Something. Great little book. This is what he says. Here's a quote from his book. Talking about the reality that in this generation, we've got so many choices. Here's what he says. With so many choices, it's no surprise that we are always thinking about greener grass on the other side of the fence. I'll just insert another quote here from Robbie Simons. He says, the grass is brown everywhere. (laughs) We're always thinking about greener grass on the other side of the fence. Back to DeYoung. We're always pondering what could be better or what might be nicer about something or someone new. Decide, the word decide comes from the Latin meaning to cut off, which explains why decisions are so hard these days. We can't stand the thought of cutting off any of our options. If we choose A, we feel the sting of not having B and C and D. As a result, every choice feels worse than having no choice at all. And when we do make an important choice, we end up with buyer's remorse, wondering if we're settling for second best. Here's how I would put it to you. One of the problems we have being overwhelmed by options is our lives are like trying to buy shampoo. Have you tried to buy shampoo lately? I was in Shopper's Drug Mart over on Bunting not too long ago, and I just, I don't have a high need for shampoo. There's not a whole lot here to deal with. But I'm in there. All I need is just something to wash my hair. And I'm standing there, and those shelves, what is it, they're three or four high-end shoppers, and it just goes on and down. There's all kinds of different kinds of shampoos. There's different brands. There's different specific needs, like if you need volume. If you need, I think it's a little too late for that. You need volume. You need, if your hair is frizzy, this one's got vitamins in it. This has got some other kind of eucalyptus, blah, 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 whatever in it. And like, I don't even, I just, I just need something to wash my hair. And I'm standing there, like, I, I don't know what to do. In fact, a lady came, and she seemed a little more certain than me about what she was doing. She came and stood beside looking for a certain one, and I just kind of impulsively turned to her, and I said, I'm so overwhelmed right now. And she, she kind of laughed and, and chuckled, but the reality is, is that that's what our lives are like right now, and especially for our young, our young people, and maybe people, maybe you, I don't know how you classify that, but for many of our young people, it is overwhelming right now with so many options. When my grandfather... Was a, was a young man. When he was 13 years old, he had to leave his home to get a work, to get a job, because home couldn't keep him anymore. He lied about his age to sign up to go to World War I. Why? Because there was probably because there was a great source of income. There weren't many options left. 
There were so few options. He just kind of he just kind of did what he had to do. He didn't have a choice. This generation, we're overwhelmed by choices. And how do you decide? The challenge here in this in this text is to push us forward to not endlessly deliberate. And I would say, and here, listen carefully. This is the heart issue. This is the heart issue. You and I have to lay down our felt right to find perfect fulfillment in the things that we do and trust by faith that God is enough. So you're choosing option A. Yeah, maybe B, C, and D would have been more fun, would have been more prosperous, you would have liked it better. Maybe, but you don't know that. And whether you go through A or B or C or D or go on down the alphabet, let me ask you, will God be enough Will he be there? Will you be able in A or Z to find satisfaction in him? Will he be able to take your your choice of door F or G and make something wonderful of it? Is he capable of doing that? Is he faithful? Is he enough? Or do you have to find fulfillment in the things that you do? If you've read Ecclesiastes, you'll know that is a bottomless pit and you'll be let down. Loved ones, The cry of this text is for us to understand if you don't sow, you won't reap. There comes a time to make a choice, to make a decision. I'll give you some practical uh, practical pastoral guidance and a, a way I think you can do that in just a few minutes. But understand that if you don't sow, you won't reap. That's the second truth. We live by faith, not by sight. If you don't sow, you won't reap. Third truth. The providence of God is shrouded in mystery. The providence of God. Remember, they talk about what providence means. God is sovereign over everything. He's in full control. When we speak about the providence of God, we mean not only the fact that he is in control, but what he's doing because he's in control. His plans, his purposeful rule. That is shrouded in mystery. That's what he's saying in verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. That phrase there, talking about the spirit, the spirit that comes to the bones in the womb. That spirit, I take to mean the human spirit, the personality. This is it's not just a baby being formed in the mother's womb, and it is a baby being formed in the mother's womb, but it's a person being formed in the mother's womb. There's another sermon for another time. It is a person with personality, an individual, and we wonder at that. You have children, you have grandchildren. These human beings just emerge, and they're, di- they're different people. They're, they're similar from you, and they're different from you, and they're different from each other. And how does this happen? God knows. It's kind of a mystery, isn't it? Just like you and I are a bit of a mystery to whoever gave birth to us. This is a picture of what it is to know something of the providence of God. There's mystery. It's shrouded in mystery. Leanne and I recently had the privilege of visiting a part of the world where, where we were staying. Nearby there was a mountain. And most times you could not see the top of the mountain because there was always clouds around it. In fact, Going up the mountain is a, a rainforest, and we walked up part of that mountain and found what a rainforest is all about. There's rain and there's forest, and that's, that's what there is there, and it's often covered in cloud. You can't see the peak because it's surrounded by clouds. That's what it is to know God. 
We can know him. He shows and wonderfully reveals to us many awesome things about himself. But there are things that he doesn't share. With the Lord, there's many things that we know, but there's many things that we don't know. We don't know what he will do in a specific situation, in a specific relationship, in a specific endeavor, in a specific uh, in, uh, mission. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. God's got secrets. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So there's things that he shows us, and there's things that he's not going to show us. Here's the point. Don't overanalyze the unknowable. What's going to happen if you apply for this job? How's it going to go if you go to that school? What's going to happen if I go and ask this question? I don't know. And neither do you. But the pain and the agony over trying to discern what will happen... While there's planning and there's wisdom have their place, there comes a point when we have to acknowledge there's some things that we don't know, that we won't know, that we can't know until the time that we do see. Loved ones, we need to embrace the truth that the providence of God is shrouded in mystery. And here's the heart issue. Here's the heart issue. I must surrender my sinful desire, and it is sinful, I must surrender my sinful desire to know the future and be in control of it. That's God's area, the future that's in his hands. And by the way, isn't it good news that it is in his hands? People talk about themselves, you know, that they're the captain of their own destiny. I don't want anything to do with that ship if you're the captain. You don't want it if I'm the captain. But isn't it wonderful to know that God is the captain? We can trust him. The providence of God is shrouded in mystery, but he is a good and great God and he's gracious to us. And we know that because of Jesus so we can rest in him and we can count on him and we can believe on him, whether it's door A, B, C, or D, whatever the decision is. Not saying be flippant. We've seen, we've seen there's a call for wisdom here, but there's a boldness, there's a courage that goes forward knowing that there's some things, there's some things that God is not going to tell me. So I seek him for the things that he does tell me and then trust him through what he chooses not to share with me. The future is in God's hands, not mine. I live by faith, not by sight. If I don't sow, I won't reap. The providence of God is shrouded in mystery. So, loved ones, what then do we do with all of this? Because I just gave this theological speech here this morning, and you've still got decisions to make. You've got choices that are staring you down. You're maybe overwhelmed by options. So you say, okay, pastor, thanks for the talk. Now what do I do? I would say to you this. The response that we have here in this text, I think, is given to us in verse 6. Notice what he writes. In the morning, sow your seed. Do you hear that? If you'd like to write in your Bible, you could write these word, this word. Go! With an exclamation mark. Go. In the morning, Sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What's the response? I put it this way. I must not let the uncertainty of tomorrow 
stop me from acting in faith today. I can't let the uncertainty of tomorrow, and there is uncertainty about tomorrow, but I can't let that stop me from acting in faith today. Verse 6 here is a call to action. It's called a step out. It's a call to don't stand there idle. It, it reminds us. That, I mean, you don't know what's going to go good and what's going to go bad. It all may go better than you think. We don't know. But what we do know is, is that we've got to live by faith and not by sight. And if I don't sow, I won't reap. And God is God and he is in control. And there's something he's not going to tell me ahead of time. So what do I do? I can't allow myself to be held back ultimately by fear. But i got to step forward in faith. Loved ones, don't miss the opportunity to be fruitful in your life because you're fearful of failure. And worried about how's it going to go and what will I miss out on. You know, there's lots of opportunities, of course, that we'll face that the Bible does speak to. But many of the choices, many of the decisions that we'll have to make, there's not a chapter and verse to, to tell us exactly what to do. There's going to be a point at which you're going to have to step out in faith. Like, like the Bible doesn't tell you whether you should buy a car or a motorcycle or just take the bus. The Bible doesn't, doesn't tell you whether you should buy a house or, or rent a house. There's principles. There's biblical principles to give you wisdom and to shape your thinking. The Bible doesn't tell you what, what school you should go to, what classes you should take. Bible doesn't tell you what you, what, all kinds of things, decisions that you're having to make. There's no specific chapter and verse answer for lots of those things. So what do you have to do? Well, you're going to have to be wise, but courageous as well. I'm going to give you here a handle to hold on to, but let me give you this verse, and I'm going to give you some practical, real practical help. Okay, here's the verse. Listen to this verse really carefully, really carefully. It's Ephesians 2, verse 10, and it says this. We are God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I'm created. I'm saved. I'm made new. I'm created in Christ. That's talking about my salvation. God has saved me to use me for his glory and my joy. He's got stuff for me to do. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved me to live an active life for him to be poured out for him, to, to do, to work. These works, Paul says, are prepared by God beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved me to use me, and he will use you as you step out in faith. So, okay, pastor, what exactly do I do? I have two things to share with you, and then I will be done, more or less. First, here's a principle. Where doors are open, walk through them. Where doors are open, walk through them. You're like, okay, enough with the vagueness and generalities, doors, plans, purposes. What are you talking about? Okay, here, let me get specific. Maybe this morning you have in your heart a sense that, you know, I need to make more time for my grandchildren. But I don't know how I'm going to do that. Well, I would say if you've got an open door right now, walk through it while the door is open. And you can deliberate about how best to do that, but don't deliberate long. If you can't see very far ahead, go as far ahead as you can see. Maybe it's leading your family spiritually, family devotions. If that door is open, walk through it. Say, I don't know how to do family devotions. Talk to somebody who does. Well, the elders, another mature believer. Maybe there's a new friendship or a neighbor nearby that you need to reach to and that's on your heart. You know you need to, something's got to happen. You're deliberating and thinking about how am I going to do that. At a certain point here, you need to do. If the door is open, walk through it. Take a step. It doesn't have to be perfect. 
because you got a God, a God who is perfect, who is really good at coming along and blessing imperfect efforts. Where doors are open, walk through them. Finally, hopefully this will be helpful to you. I think it will. I want to encourage you that in making your decisions and choices in life to be bold. Bold. B-O-L-D. It's an acronym. B stands for Bible. If you've got a decision to make right now, maybe it's to do with your future. Maybe it's to do with the relationship. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's even your health. Bold. Be bold. B stands for Bible. What does God say? It's very possible that your specific issue, God has already addressed in his word. Maybe you're not sure about that. That's where it's, it's great to, to search the scriptures, to ask someone to help you. If they got a verse that would help you. If you're deliberating with something right now, ask yourself, what does God say in his, in his word? Um, what principles, what biblical principles apply to my situation right now? B, Bible. O stands for others. Others. What do godly people say? Godly people, like in my church family. Somebody who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, and maybe even better, somebody who knows me as well. To, to talk to somebody and, and to get godly counsel from mature believers who love you. Not just people who will agree with you. Not just people who come like, oh yeah, go for it, go for it. No, no, but, but people who are faithful to apply God's word and will give you honest feedback in terms of your skills and your talents and your gifting to give you advice and, and to pray for you. In fact, the, Proverbs tells us that the wisdom of doing this, Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You want to know what to do in your life? A great thing you can do is not only consult God's word, but consult God's people and to ask them for, for their input and their prayers and their biblical counsel. The third letter is L. It stands for Lord. Be talking to the Lord in prayer. Be talking to God. Talk to him about it. Uh, pray about it. Some, some of us this morning are stuck in indecision and hesitancy because we're not praying. We're not seeking. You say, well, Ross, you're not talking to me. I've been praying and crying out to God for this for months. Well, then maybe it's time to go to the next step. Maybe it's time to go to D, and that is do. Decide or do. To move forward in faith. To come to a point where you say, I'm not delaying any longer. I'm going to act now. I'm going to go as far ahead as I can see. I'm going to go. Now let me get really practical. Let me just give you a couple examples. Just practice this and then I promise I'm done. I promise. Let's just say you're deliberating about, about maybe a, a, a job. A job opportunity. And you want, to do, you want to be bold in making this decision. What would you do? Well, one top Bible, what does God's word say? I mean, maybe it's a job that God's word would just say, yeah, that's, it's, not, it's not ethical. It's not a good job for you to do. But chances are it's not, that's not the case. And you'll see in there the instruction about the importance of work and, and how God can use that in so many different ways. So you're going to consult the Bible. You talk to others. Ask others to pray for you. Ask others to give you input in terms of your interest and your skill and maybe just your need. Like maybe that thing that the other is going to do is saying, listen, you, you got to quit looking for options. You need this job now, so take it. Maybe you'll need that. Be praying about it, talking to God about it, open and honest before him, and then do. Step out and apply. And I don't know what the answer is going to be, but step out in faith. How about one more? This is the last one, last one. Some of you will love this. How about your love life? Your love life. Now, if you're single right now, you're hearing me talk about your love life, and like, I don't really want advice from you in my love life. Oh, you're going to get it. Going to get it. I want you to be bold with your love life. Thinking about pursuing a romantic relationship with someone, thinking about marrying someone, a desire to marry. Be bold in that. 
Bible. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible tells us it's no sin to marry. Amen. That's great. Glad to hear that. The Bible also shows us there's advantages in singleness and there's advantages in being married. The Bible instructs us clearly to marry in the Lord. Marry in the Lord. So when we get to the others piece, if you come to me and you're like, you know what, I'm so interested in this person. Now, they're not a believer, but just stop right there. God has already spoken to that. And he does not want his children entering into a marriage with somebody who's not a believer. Now, you're in a marriage, and one spouse becomes a believer. That's a different story. But as you seek for a partner, what does God want? He's already answered the question. So you can ask it, but we'll just point you to 1 Corinthians 7. It says to marry in the Lord. Would it be sinful to pursue that relationship? Yes. Yes, it would. Marry in the Lord. The Bible tells us that marriage is a gift from God. And we would see in Scripture that if we're seeking God in his word, what I want is not just somebody who said a prayer when they were six, although that's, that's not nothing, but what I want is somebody who loves the Lord, who's on mission for him, who has a passion for Jesus, to live for him and make our lives count for him. That's the person I want to join with in marriage. So consult the Bible, consult others. What do other godly people say in my life to, to test your heart and to point us to Scripture, to pray, to talk to God about it openly and honestly, to pour your heart out before him? Lord, open my eyes. Give me a pure heart. Give me wisdom. Maybe give me courage. And then to do, to act, to move forward. And I would just say tenderly but boldly, I think particularly for young men, there may come a point where this is the piastre resistance. You've got to ask. You say, well, how's that going? I don't know what she's going to say. I don't know either. But I do know this, that if you've done Bible, others, Lord, there comes a point in which you move forward in faith and say, God, here goes. And I'm going to trust you. Whatever the answer is, if it's yes, if it's no, if it's something in between or something I wasn't expecting, I don't know. But at a certain point, I'm going to act. I'm going to move forward. This is about making bold decisions in your life, whether it's your love life, your finances, your health, your work life. Let me ask you, is there a decision that you need to make now? Will you make a bold decision by faith. In fact, let's just pray about this right now. Let's just pray. I suspect there's decisions, there's choices that are waiting in this room right now to be made that I probably haven't even thought of, haven't even fathomed. Let's seek the Lord together about this now. Father, we want to be a people who live for you. By faith, trusting you, counting on you, seeing you work in power in us and through us. Lord, we don't want to waste the lives you've given to us. So now here I am, we're just, we're just in prayer, and you're just before the Lord right now. Let me ask you just now between you and the Lord, is there a decision that you need to make. When you get to the end, there'll be lots of things, lots of things you've done that you'll regret doing. But right now is about perhaps making a decision that will spare you an equally grievous regret. 
Not the things we did do, but the things that we didn't do.